We're going to start off tonight talking about hydro and your bills, and this is your company, right? This, you got to remember, you own it. Manitoba Hydro belongs to us, so we have a stake in it. And so often I think we look at a company like Hydro or any Crown Corporation as something apart, separate and apart from ourselves, rather than something that is that we are a part of, that we have a stake in, that we have ownership of. There is much debate, as many of you know, in this province about some possible major hydro dam projects coming up. And to talk about that tonight, it's a great opportunity because so often we get people who, uh, who may have a stake or a vested interest from a Manitoba standpoint, whether it be economic or political or whatever, ideological, what have you. My guest tonight is David Vardy, and he's uh, what do you, you don't call them outlanders, do you? you know, the rest of us? Not really. You, uh, <laughs> the, the people that live in the bay are called baymen, and the people that live in St. John's are called townies. Townies. <laughs> so are you a townie? I'm a townie. All right, townie. David Vardy. I'm a bayman wannabe. <laughs> from St. John's, which is, uh, which is God's country. And they've had a, an extremely, we like us, had a very tough winter. Still snow on the ground there. Absolutely. Yikes. And in the air. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> anyway, you uh, were with the Public Utilities Board uh, in Newfoundland. I was. Point, right? So you guys know something about hydro, just like a lot of the rest of the people in Canada do. The people in Quebec know about it, people in Ontario, right? So we all know about hydro that when we, what we do know is that we pay a bill every month. That's, that's really about as much as a lot of Canadians understand about hydro, isn't it? What do, what do we need to know about hydro that, that, we, that we don't? Well, what we need to know about hydro is that uh, hydro involves, uh, we need to do a lot of planning in advance in order to ensure that we have good systems in place. And we had uh, some major outages in Newfoundland several months ago, and so we're going through an inquiry now to see what really went wrong. But the really big issue today is, is the capital expansion plans that are in place in Newfoundland and across Canada, and particularly in Manitoba where we're looking at um, uh, three major projects that are going to cost something like $22 billion in Manitoba. And it's called the Preferred Development Plan, and it involves Kiesk and Bipole 3 and Kanawapa. And we have a, our counterpart in Newfoundland. It's called Muskrat Falls. Now, our Muskrat Falls is not as big as your projects here, but it's actually Muskrat Falls is somewhere between Kanawapa and Kiesk in size. It's 824 megawatts. And uh, the total cost of that is going to be quite high. It's going to be, it's, right now it's pushing $9 billion, that whole overall project. And that's a lot of money for a small province of a half a million people. And to put it in perspective, uh, you know, most people, their eyes glaze over when you talk mm -hmm. about billions. So I like well, yeah, so that's that's the problem with this, isn't it, David? That we 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 can't. I mean, I can't grasp nine billion dollars. I can't. But I I understand if the meatloaf in the parliamentary cafeteria is only four bucks when I'm paying fifteen, or you know, a seventeen dollar glass of orange juice. Well, we all get that. Nine billion dollars. That's why, you know, Jeff. I I, you know? I usually try to put this in terms of what is that costing the average person. And what I do is I say, okay, we're talking about nine billion dollars, which is likely to go to ten. And I divide that by the number of people in our province, which is 500,000. And I come up with a number, and that number is in the order of $20,000 per man, woman, and child. 
And when I say to people, you know, this project's going to cost you $20,000, but it's going to cost your family more than that. How many people are in your family? Oh, well, there's mom and dad and there's three kids. That's five. That's $100,000. So we're adding to your family bill, your family mortgage, your debt, a hundred thousand dollars okay and it's worse than that isn't it because the money is being borrowed to do this we have to borrow and, the and so your grandchildren are going to be paying the grease on this exactly and the thing is that that's what really bothers me from where i sit uh it's not going to have a big impact on me i'm not a young person i have but i have kids i've got a grandchild and uh, so i'm really worried about what the impact of that's going to be so uh the concern that i have really relates to our ability to control the developments to make sure that people have an opportunity to input into the decisions because as you said we own we own these resources through our crown corporations but the problem is we do not control them and the question becomes how can we get better control democratic control and uh, so uh, you know if you like i'm just going to continue on the 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 analogy and the just moving in into manitoba uh, the the numbers that are being bandied around for Manitoba, $22 billion for those three projects. And if you want to ex- you look at the, the extensions and the maintenance that's involved uh, in those and, and the other related projects, you're up to $34 billion. But let's stick with the 22. If you do that same calculation with the $22 billion, you, you've got one and a quarter million people in this province. You've got about two and a half people. Uh, that we have than we have in in Newfoundland right. and Labrador, so I did the calculation. You're looking at seventeen thousand six hundred people, six hundred dollars per person. Mm-hmm. So it's in the same ball, ballpark. Right. It has a huge impact on the average citizen, and it has a huge impact on the uh, on the average family. And on top of that, both of our provinces are already heavily burdened with debt. We have a debt of nine billion dollars. Uh, you've got a debt of eighteen billion dollars. That's net debt. Uh, if you take the gross debt, it's a good bit more than that, but we'll just talk about the net debt. Not to mention hydro debt. Not to mention hydro debt. So wh- what are we doing when we start to add these kinds of projects? $9 billion in Newfoundland, $22 billion in Manitoba. Uh, it's going to double the, the provincial debt and, or more than that. So we really have to ask ourselves the question, how can we manage this better? Do we have proper control? And so I spoke today at a luncheon uh, with the the, um, the Frontier Center for Public mm-hmm. Policy. What I talked about was mm-hmm. regulation. Okay, we're going to take a pause and we'll get you come back and talk a little bit more about what you did have to say today and how we can wrest control of what our own property back from those who would not have us control it. David Vardy is with us today. I want to thank the folks at the Frontier Center for making them available to us tonight. This is the Nighthawk on 680 CJOB. Talking about hydro, how uh, we own it, but we don't really seem to have much of a say or control over it. My guest in studio tonight is David Vardy, who was once chair of the Public Utilities Board, secretary to the cabinet in Newfoundland and Labrador, and is, has been speaking here today for the uh, folks at the Frontier Center for Public Policy. And, uh, David, you, I wanted to get you to start talking about some of the things because you, you talked about Muskrat Falls, the, the proposed hydro dam in Newfoundland, and the proposed dams that we've got going here, not to mention Bipole 3, which has been a, an extremely controversial subject. Although the, the difficulty for most of us, we talked about the billions of dollars, how we can't grasp that, and you broke those numbers down. 
The other problem for for projects like this is that we don't see them. You know, a bipole tree uh, is it's out there somewhere. It's not something. It's not like a pothole that we're driving over every day. Right? We can see the potholes; they're wrecking our cars. We don't see bipole three. So some of these issues are are harder for us to grasp, aren't they? Just as because we're concrete thinkers, and if we don't see it, it's tougher for us to get it. And you know, because of that, uh, Jeff, you know, we have confidence that somebody is looking after our interest. And who you ask the question? Well, who is that somebody who's looking after our interest? And invariably, you think about the Auditor General. Well, is the Auditor General doing an audit of this? Well, I know in Newfoundland, the, our Auditor General is not doing it. And uh, there are obstacles for him doing it because if he goes in there, he can be blocked by the, the legislation that allows him to. The CEO of Nelcor, our unregulated utility, to prevent him from reporting to the House of Assembly and going and going public with his reports. So but we do look for the Auditor, the Auditor General, and we have to demand that our governments uh, get our auditors in there to audit the books. We also have to open up the, uh, these decisions to the public utilities boards. Now, I know you have a hearing here. I know there are problems with the hearing. Some people feel that the hearing is, is restricted. And I know that in Newfoundland we had major problems because our government was not going to give us the benefit of an inquiry, of a public utilities inquiry. A number of citizens, private citizens, pressured the government to say, you can't build this $9 billion project without having some kind of public utility hearing. So uh, instead of allowing the board to discharge its responsibility and have a full hearing and decide themselves how to conduct it, the government said, we're going to ask you for advice, Mr. PUB. What we're going to ask you to do is to tell us whether building Muskrat Falls is better than simply continuing on with uh, uh, building power sources on the island, particularly thermal power. So you have two alternatives, and we're, we're going to put this question to the PUB, and we're going to give them six months to answer it. So that's what they did. At the end of it, the Public Utilities Board said, this is an impossible question. You, ha you haven't given us the information or the time that you need. And so the government said, okay, then we're going to go ahead with this. We're going to proceed, and we're, we're going to ignore you guys. We're not going to give you any role whatsoever. So the result of all this is that you've got a, a project which has started. They've, they've committed over $3 billion, and it's virtually unstoppable. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what went wrong? Is there something that Manitoba can learn from the Newfoundland experience? Because I know there's a group of people, very active people, many of whom were in the, in the room today when I spoke, who are asking the question, how can we stop this? Well, and, and they are of different political stripes, too. A couple of former premiers, an NDP former premier and a former conservative premier, both saying, put the brakes on this thing. And it's not just, uh, it's not just you know, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation saying this, you know, a, a conservative think tank, if you will. It's not just them. It's, it's a whole lot of people of different political stripes saying, this, is, this doesn't look like a real good idea. Because if, if we gamble wrong, this, the, the bet that we're making here, if we gamble wrong on this, this province is going to be in the toilet for three generations. And we, we have the same thing. We have two ministers, a former finance minister, 
a former minister of fisheries of the same persuasion, conservative persuasion, who are deadly opposed to this project. So there's a, there's a lot of people who, who think that this is ro- the wrong thing to be doing. But whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, the problem is you ha- there is a, a due process that needs to be followed. If you're going to build a house, you decide on the financing. You decide on the architecture. You, make, you, put it all, you line up all your ducks and you make sure that everybody's in, agree- in agreement. Here's a situation where we haven't lined up the ducks because we didn't ensure that we covered all the bases. We went ahead with, it, with this project without looking at all the alternatives. And, you know, the simplest alternative of all, of all, the simplest alternative, and in my opinion the best and the cheapest, is what's called conservation. And conservation and demand-side management, which essentially means doing sensible things in the household, those make a lot more sense than doing, making, uh, making ex- large expenditures in the wilderness and along the transmission lines. So uh, there's, a, there's a, a danger that we're going to be blinded, blinded by these mega projects and not able to see that there are simple practical solutions. And some of those practical solutions are being discussed now at your hearing here in Winnipeg. And I hope to God that common sense will prevail because the preponderance of evidence that I have seen is that there's not a galloping load growth. There's not a lot of people that are new people that are coming on the system that are demanding additional electricity. So this is not being driven by load growth. It's not really being being driven by uh, export opportunities because the export ex- the export prices have dropped like a stone. Okay, I want to come back and touch on that yeah. as well because that's that's a major part of this whole conversation. Exactly. Uh, when it comes to and we will get a, before we pause again, we've got about forty five seconds here. But when it comes to conservation, I think a lot of more people have got into things like low flush toilets and more energy efficient washing machines and shower heads and all that sort of thing. Is that the kind of stuff you're talking exactly. about? Exactly. More more efficiency, better insulation, uh, better uh, means of heating. The heat pumps are very popular, getting more popular. But in spite of that, our utilities are encouraging people to install electric heat. And that's the most inefficient source of heating you can use, the most expensive. All right. We're going to come back and we'll talk a little bit more to David Vardy, former chair of the Public Utilities Board in Newfoundland and Labrador. Hydro dams. We ready to spend that kind of dope? This is the Nighthawk on 680 CGOB. Talking hydro, David Vardy is former chair of the Public Utilities Board and secretary to the cabinet in Newfoundland and Labrador and was in town today speaking about hydro projects. Muskrat Falls is the project in his home province. And so what are some of the the lessons then, David, that we in Manitoba should be learning from Muskrat Falls? Are we we on the wrong path? Well, I think one of the lessons you need to learn is that you, got, you, need, you need to look at all the alternatives, particularly the low-lying uh, f- uh, fruit, but, uh, such as demand-side management, conservation, uh, alternative energy, those, all those kinds of things. Uh, the other thing you need to look at, really, is the strength of your oversight. You, you need to have strong oversight. You need to have independent people on your boards. You need to have a board that has the, the power to review capital expenditures on an ongoing basis. You need to have a board that is free to look at all kinds of alternatives. And you need to have uh, uh, lots of checks and balances because the problem we have in Canada, and it's not just Newfoundland and it's not just in Manitoba because it's in, it's in Quebec and it's in, uh, in British Columbia in particular, and that is you've got powerful crown corporations and you've got weak public utilities boards because the public utilities boards serve at the behest of the government 
and the government tends to embrace hydro hydro companies because for a number of reasons in Manitoba because they're they're generating money they're they're uh, uh, they're generating money through these taxes through the the loan guarantee fee through the capital tax through the water rentals and so they're the fair-haired childs the children of of government and so what you need to do is rebalance the playing field if you look south of the border what you'll find is most of the utilities are actually owned by investors they're investor-owned utilities some of them are quite big but there are strong public utilities boards that are regulating them, and that's what we don't see in Canada. Yeah, we're, we, we're don't, not, we don't get the sense that there is that oversight or that there, like I say, there's a kind of this Romulan force field around hydro that we, we just we can't get inside. We can't we can't see inside it. We don't really know what the inner workings are, and, and successive governments have strongly resisted thorough audits and investigations of of the finances and the operations of hydro. So it's still this kind of mysterious, monolithic beast that, that has this beautiful, eco-friendly building downtown. But that's, that's as close as we can get to it, is walking inside the building and hearing the waterfalls. Well, in Newfoundland, we have this new company. We have a new crown corporation. It's called Nelcor. And it's growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, it'll, its its aim is obviously to, to to reach the stature of Manitoba Hydro and the, and the level of uh, of operation and uh, wealth. But uh, it's not regulated. It is not regulated. It is not subject to regulation. And uh, they're doing things. They're borrowing money. They're, they're spending a lot of money, making commitments for future generations. And there's there's really nobody with any oversight. Now, there's a nice model in Nova Scotia. In Nova, and Nova Scotia is different from Manitoba and it's different from Newfoundland in the sense that they, their utility is investor-owned. And let me assure you that their public utilities board is looking after the interest of the average Nova Scotian because they're watching like a hawk every penny that's being spent on the what's called the Maritime Link Project, which is actually part of the Muskrat Falls Project. It's the transmission line that crosses underneath the Strait, the Cabot Strait, the, between the and the Atlantic Ocean, between Newfoundland and Cape Breton Island, it brings the power to Nova Scotia. It's a $1.8 billion project, and every penny of that money that's being spent is being watched over to make sure it's being done properly. And this is being done in the interest of the people of Nova Scotia by their public utilities board. That's what we've got to aspire toward. Well, that's, that's clear. We, we've dropped the ball on that because we've given... Uh, some of the First Nations, $450 million just to negotiate with no accountability on that. No paper trail, not not so much as a receipt from anybody. That's $450 million of, I think that's what it is. Was it 450 250 I'm sorry, two, two, 250 uh, not 450 Sorry, a, a measly, oh, well, we can write that off, $250 million to negotiate these deals without so much as a receipt. Yeah. Who does business like that? You can't do business like that. I mean, you've got to have somebody looking out for the for the citizen, and it's got to be able to say these these investments are used and are useful, and are prudent. They are prudent investments, and if they're not prudent investments, they should be disallowed. And they should the people that are that are making those investments should be called to account for their management decisions. But you can't make those decisions. You can't spend that kind of money without oversight and without accountability. And that's what we've got to restore. Now, how do you do well, that? Well, if, if they're prudent, shouldn't, shouldn't the, the people in charge not have any problem with, with tra this kind of transparency? Absolutely. I, about? Absolutely. I mean, you, you know what it's like in, in our business. If somebody says, no, I'm not telling you, yeah. all right, what are you hiding, yeah, Exactly. That's right. <laughs> you know, we're not children. It's, it's not just journalists who think that yeah. way. We all think that way.
Everybody thinks that way. What is it you're hiding? What is it you don't want to tell us? Right? So the argument from, uh, from our provincial government is our population is going to grow and the demand is going to be much greater in 15 or 20 years. So we should build these dams now. And we're going to have all these great contracts to sell hydro to our friends down to the south. And uh, we're going to need this for income. And so where does that, I wanted you to address that. Yeah, I'm sure um, you spoke about that. I've spoken, today. I yeah. spoke to people about this. And this is an issue we've looked at. The low growth, my sense is that the low growth is being overestimated because the people that are preparing the low growth projections are ignoring the fact that the, the real prices, the real cost of electricity is going up and it's going up at twice the rate of inflation. And when that happens, people cut back under expenditure. That's a normal, natural instinct. Now, economists call it demand elasticity, but it's really human nature. If the price of something goes up relative to everything else, the price of bananas goes up relative to apples or oranges. The, the chances are you're going to switch. You're going to buy, you're going to yeah. consume fewer bananas. The same thing is true with electricity. People are going to switch to other things. They're going to use more insulation. They're going to use more other uh, forms, heat pumps, other forms of uh, of heating, and so uh, they're ignoring that. So I think their low growth assumptions are far too high. The export side of things, our experience in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, with regard to exports, because we're exporting a lot of our power, up to 57 percent of the power from Muskrat Falls is going to be sold to Nova Scotia. And you know something? The best we can do is to sell that power at spot market prices. And you know what that's going to give us? That's going to give us between five and nine cents per kilowatt hour. And you know what it's costing us to generate that power? You know what we're going to have to pay? We're paying 21 cents a kilowatt hour. So here we are. The best we can do in terms of selling the export, we're losing. So every Every kilowatt hour we sell, we're losing money. So how does that make who does, sense? Who does business that way? How, how do you make? How does that make sense? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not funny because this is real people's money. This is this is the money of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador who it's are my children. Yeah, it's your children, my children, our grandchildren. All right. All right. So we're gonna we're going to sell. We might as well put up the more wind turbines if we're looking for something that's a bad economic model. We might as well just put up more wind turbines if you want to throw money away. So we're, we're going to wind up selling this stuff at a loss. And we know that in, uh, to our, our neighbors just to the south that, that fracking, weather, as controversial as it may be, that's going to be the energy source in North Dakota and surrounding area for a very long time. So where are these markets going to be? Now, I know we just did a deal with Wisconsin, I think, for I don't know how big a deal it was. I think it was you know, a fairly small in, in the grand scheme of things. They made it sound bigger than it really was uh, as a hydro deal. So we're building these dams. We're going to sell hydro at a loss based on the notion that 30 or 40 years from now, the demand is going to go up and that our population is going to be triple what it is now. And so, I mean, that's a pretty big roll of the dice, isn't it, for that, for that kind of money? So... What do we do then, looking into the future? Supposing, supposing our government is right, and we don't do this right now, what happens? Well, the, the thing you do is you try to maximize your flexibility. You maximize your flexibility by making decisions that don't preclude other options into the future. You try to, if, you, if you're in a high-risk environment, and I, would, I think we're probably in a high-risk environment because we're in the transition from high-energy prices to lower energy prices. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if we build all of this power, this, these trillions of kilowatt hours, uh, 
is that power going to be stranded because it's too expensive to sell? Uh, and if so, rather than find ourselves in that position, wouldn't it be better for us to, to make some provisional decisions, smaller decisions now, rather than bigger decisions, because the power, the water power is still going to be there. If we hold off for five years, in five years' time, those dams are still going to be there. The water is still going to be flowing over the dams. So I think what we've got to do is think about smaller solutions. There's a tendency for our governments to think about big solutions, mega projects. But I think that the people can relate more readily to smaller solutions. And the other thing is we're all moving so fast. You know, everybody's going around today making decisions on information they're getting today. We're making decisions based upon five, six, seven years ago, market assessments of export revenues that we could achieve under the conditions that, that existed at, at those times. Well, you know, you've got to be prepared. We've got to be agile. Our governments have to be agile and change their decisions based upon circumstances. And I think the best way they can adjust to these circumstances now is to do things that are, uh, that are cheap, that make sense, and that, that are beneficial uh, to people in their own homes. So the, rather than embark on more mega projects, I would suggest we really look very hard at doing things, doing small things. And I don't think any of our boards, either in Manitoba or Newfoundland and Labrador, have really looked hard at the question of putting more insulation, putting more uh, insulation around our windows, in the walls, looking at whether our systems are efficient, looking at whether we're using the best technology. Heat pumps are a great uh, asset. They're, they're being installed uh, in, in, in many cases. But in spite of all that, 85% of new house, houses in our province are in, installing electric heat. And the reason for that is because they're being promoted by the companies, by the public utility companies, because they want to find markets. They're trying to build up markets for all this power. One of the things we've got to do is we've really got to take the marketing of demand-side management out of the hands of the utilities and put it into the hands of other people because they're in a conflict of interest. Why would you expect Coca-Cola to be promoting the consumption of Pepsi? It just doesn't make sense. And that's what we're asking our utilities to do when we're asking them to, to promote conservation. Well, so what should we be asking our public utility, uh, uh, our crown corporation like Hydro to do? As, as consumers and taxpayers, Is it should we be saying to them, give us energy at the lowest possible price, or should we be saying, take this natural resource we have and make money for us off it? What should we be telling them? I think that we need to decide what our priorities are, and I think if our priorities are, I think, I think the priorities should be based on serving the customers at the lowest possible price, and if we can reduce the price by selling power elsewhere and uh, using the revenues to reduce the price, that's great. If we can, uh, but we have to bear in mind that people expect reliability. One of the things, the, the quality of electricity today is much more important than it was 20 years ago because we have such sensitive instruments uh, in our homes and in our hospitals, in our schools that require very, very careful moderation in the in the frequency of electricity. Uh, we, we've got to look at the quality, but I think we mustn't lose sight of the fact that um, that the needs for electricity are probably going to decline because we're becoming more and more in, uh, energy efficient. Our refrigerators, our stoves, our television sets are all using less electricity. So don't apply the paradigms of the 60s and 70s into the 21st century. 
Thanks very much for doing this tonight. It's You're very uh, welcome. Fascinating, and welcome to Winnipeg. And uh, well, at least there's no snow here. I guess that's the. That's when you know that was a, when I was flying in here yesterday morning. That's the thing. I was. I said no snow. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. <laughs> David Vardy uh, was uh, the economics faculty at Queen's University. Went back to Newfoundland and Labrador, and was a senior public servant there for nearly 30 years, including serving as chair of the Public Utilities Board. He was uh, in town today and want to thank the folks at the Frontier Centre for making him available to us tonight.